Let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. As we continue our study in the book of Colossians. It's our practice at Countryside Bible Church to preach the Bible verse by verse, line by line, precept upon precept. That's the way God wrote it. And I like it because you talk about the tough issues and you talk about the difficult passages that in a topical preaching church, they're overlooked a lot of times. And uh, in this way, we hit them all. And last Sunday was a Sunday we hit it all. There's two key words in this section in Colossians, in chapter 3. And they're given to us in verses 1 and 2. They really guide the rest of the chapter. Paul says, therefore, if you have received or you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated in the right hand. That's the first word, seek. The second word is given in the first part of chapter 2, set your mind. And your life is hidden in Christ, in God. And so then he begins to spell out <clears throat> for us what is good and what is not good and what our minds ought to be occupied on as opposed to not being occupied. And then in verse 5, we didn't finish that verse last Sunday morning. But he says in the last part of verse 5 where we ended up, he said, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. That little phrase, which amounts to idolatry, includes all the previous things that he said prior to it, that list that he gave us. Greed or covetousness really is based upon the fact that we want more than we have. Of all the Ten Commandments, the last commandment is found in Exodus 20, verse 17. Go back and take a look at that and just refresh our minds on the Ten Commandments. I just had, I read it this morning in my daily Bible reading, the Ten Commandments. And it's quite interesting on that mountain in which God gave those Ten Commandments, not, not Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments, which God gave those Ten Commandments. They weren't even to touch that mountain, and they weren't able to go even near that mountain, and the Levites were to keep people from going there lest they die. Because the holiness of God was on full display when he gave the Ten Commandments. The last one goes like this in Exodus 20, 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Covetousness is a mental sin. It's not an overt sin. I could wish I had your house, and you would never know it, but I'd know it. I could wish I had all your riches, and you'd never know it, but I'd know it in my mind. And that's a sin against God, because God has given us what we have. Greed is comparable to idolatry, because it relegates God to a second shelf. We're not trusting God for what we have. It's the same as an idol. When you worship an idol, you're not worshiping God. When you're greedy or want more and have that greed within us, it is simply that we have, we have said to God, we want more than you have really given us. And we're not appreciative of the things that we have. Not everybody's going to be rich. As I've told you many times, I heard the old farmer way back in the beginning of my ministry at a men's conference, at a men's retreat, stand up and say in Iowa, he said, 
Lord gave me 160 acres and I can barely make it. And I kept wishing I was like the rich man, R.G. Letourneau, who gave 90% of his income to the Lord and kept the 10%. And then he said it dawned on me as I prayed that prayer, I realized God couldn't trust me with 160 acres that I had. I wasn't even generous with him then. And so God has given us what we have. The desire to have more places God on a second or third shelf. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Just a few verses that you all know already. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Just one book prior to Colossians. And in the fourth chapter, we have some tremendous verses. But verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, uh, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, repute. If there's any excellent, and if there's anything worthy of praise, what? Dwell on it. Seek these things. Set your mind on it. Some people listen to too much news and let it get them down. Some people are not, are not spending enough time in the Word and are worrying about things that God is going to take care of. God will take care of these things. While you're in Philippians, look at verse 12. Philippians 4, verse 12. Now Paul says that he had gotten a gift, and he's appreciative of the gift. But he says this, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be what? Content. I'm learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am because God is in control. And we've got to remind ourselves of that often. We don't need more stuff. We need more of God. And God will provide the stuff that we need. And he'll give it to us. And we'll use it properly. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 6. I think it's worth turning there again. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. He reminds us again of contentment. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by what? Contentment. If you're content with what you have and I'm content with what I have, and I grow in the grace and love of the Lord Jesus Christ, what a wonderful thing that is. I'm not stewing about what's going to happen because I know I'm in God's hands. Drought or too much rain or whatever, right? I'm content. And so we're to set our mind on these things. We're to seek that contentment. I don't know about you, but if I have a problem, I tend to want to put it in my own hands and think about the ramifications of it, what will happen about it and all in the future. And I realize this is nothing but worldly wisdom. This is nothing but fleshly wisdom. And so I go to God and I say, I'm laying this on your hands. This is in your hands, Lord. I'm trusting you completely, only to bring it up again 15 minutes later. And you've got to go through the process again. God, you're in control. You are almighty. You are sovereign. You know what's going to happen. And still, bring it up. It's a battle, isn't it? Well, then you've got to go back to a verse we previously read. It says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable. And then it goes through this list. Whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there are any excellent and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Don't dwell on the negative. Dwell on the things that God has told you in his word. And work it out. Well, he talked about the physical sins in verse 5. The mental attitude that creates that physical sin. And then he says as well, in this passage in verse six or verse 
6 we read now the warning. Warning on what you think. In verse 6 he said, It is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. The necessity to consider ourselves dead to sins and in the previous sins listed in verse 5, we need to recognize we to lay those sins aside, stop thinking about these things, fill our minds with the things of God, but he said it's because of the disobedience the wrath of God will come. Now there's lessons to be learned in verses 6 and 7. First of all, the judgment of sin. He says the wrath is coming. Notice what he says, because of these things, a previous list, the list that's coming after this verse. It is because of these things, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. The judgment is coming. Coming on this nation. In fact, we may very well be at the point of no return. If I read Romans 1 correctly, God has given us over when, uh, when people cannot figure out what is a legitimate marriage, when people are changing the, <clears throat> their own gender because of their own wishes, we have gone maybe a step far, God turns them over. So what's the answer? The answer is for us to preach repentance and turning to Christ. Worldly wisdom is not going to work in this case. All these worldly things are not going to work. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to work to stave off, if you want to, to stave off the judgment that is ultimately coming to us. And instead, we get more ridiculous ideas coming out and conflict. They're standing at our state capital, wanting more immorality. Where are the believers preaching the gospel? Where are the believers? Where are the churches that are standing up and saying, we got to repent for judgment is coming? Numbers 32, 23 says, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Now he's speaking to the nation, but that's true of an individual as well. The sin that we commit, unless confessed, God will deal with that in our lives. As believers, we call it chastening. Now, every time something goes wrong in your life, it doesn't necessarily mean that you sin. But there are times when things go wrong, you have sinned. And I have sinned. Not necessarily in every case. There's many other reasons why God sends affliction and allows affliction to come into our lives. But be sure that if you're going to sin, it's going to come back and haunt you. Listen to this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not what? Mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh from the flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit and from the Spirit reap eternal life. You want to do things that really last? You want to do things that bring joy and peace and contentment to your life? Sow things from God. But if you don't, if you ignore him and go against what you know God's word to say, you're headed for the woodshed. Because God, God will not tolerate it. You know, there's some believers, I believe, that sin so long, God just took them out of life, what we, what we might call prematurely. That's not true in every case. But there is such a thing as sin unto death. And there is such a thing as going too far. 
and there's no return. I remember a church I served in Hutchinson when I went down there. We had a sign in front of the church that said, prepare to meet your God. <clears throat> I know why they put it on there. They put it on there because they wanted people to be saved. <clears throat> and it was prepare to meet your God on our church sign. So I asked some of the guys, I said, do you know where that verse is from? Yeah, it says on the sign, Amos. I said, have you really, really read the context of that verse? No. You know what it means? It's too late. Prepare to meet your God. And there comes a time, folks, when it's too late. It's too late. Judgment, as he said, is coming. The other thing I see in that verse is the holiness of God. The holiness of God is spoken of in, in a negative way, the wrath of God. Why is God angry? Why does God have wrath? He is holy and he hates sin. He hates it. Even when we do it as a preacher or an elder, a deacon, a church member, whatever, an usher, whatever, when we sin, God hates it. It breaks fellowship with him. Turn with me to the book, uh, well, I got part of it on the board. But the book, the prophet Habakkuk, in chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, was struggling with the way God was punishing the nations. And here's what he said in chapter 1, verse 12. And ye, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not, will not the, we will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Lord, have established them to correct. You know what's happening? God chose wicked nations to judge the righteous so-called nation, Israel. He used the wicked to correct, to judge his people. And so Habakkuk had a problem with that. And then he said, your eyes are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look upon wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you choosing a wicked nation to judge us? We're walking with the Lord. We are your chosen. Good question, isn't it? The point of it is the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God will come. Look at John 3.36. John 3.36. Most of you probably know that by memory anyway. It's in that chapter 3 where God so loved the world. It's in that chapter that we really use for evangelism. But here's what it says. John 3.36 He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. I don't know how many true believers are in our nation or in the world. I have no idea. I think we're in a minority. So where is the wrath of God? It's on the rest. They're not following God. So they're bound to feel the wrath of God. You know, the physical expression of the wrath of God will come in the tribulation that follows the rapture of the church. God is going to judge all these nations that he's kind of withheld judgment, though periodically sending judgment to remind them that he is still in charge. But when it comes after the day after the rapture, that could happen today, right? Once the rapture happens, nothing's going to stop the wrath of God on the nations. Read Revelation 6 to 19. Read Matthew 24. 
Read these sections. People that are doing things got to remember that God is in control of the nations and he's not putting up with that sinful filth that is coming down from our nations. Not going to do it. And he's already carried along. I've heard people say, well, if God doesn't do something to America, he's got to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Or Western Europe. Right? Just because God is not active, and just because God has dealt with us in grace, and he's given us a nation in which we've had peace to preach the word of God, which all of us can be prosperous and have the so-called American dream, just because we have it doesn't mean that that's withholding his judgment. It doesn't mean that. Solomon tells us that in Ecclesiastes. Just because we don't see immediate judgment, we should not assume that it's not coming. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Among them, the world, we too formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, including the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of what? Wrath. We were standing in judgment from God. But when you put your faith in Christ, having repented of your sin, guess what? Who took your judgment? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ took your judgment. That which you and I should have deserved and should have received Jesus bore it all. We sang about it this morning. He took our wrath in our place. The full brunt of it. The full brunt. It's not like, uh, oh, well, you're going to be a Christian. I'm, I'm only going to receive half of your wrath. No, he took, the whole, he took the whole deal. But that wrath is coming. And so Paul reminds the church at Colossae. This is serious stuff we're dealing with here. All right, I heard John all the immorality last week. Somebody was here last week visiting, was saying to me, said, I, I visited here. We were late for our church, so we came to your church. I'd heard you preach the word over here. And then we went through the list of the immoral sins. And he said, now I believe you guys do preach the word. Now he's going to remind us of some other sins. He says to us in verse 7, in them, as we just read in Ephesians 2, 3, we just read the fact that we too at one time walked in this way prior to our salvation. So he reminds us again, in them, speaking of the previous people in verses 5, he said, in them you also once walked and you were living in them. You once knew the dirty stories. You once were, had immoral thoughts. You once had all those things. The life of sins. In them you also walk. Paul makes two statements about past life of a believer. First, the practice of our life, we were, before we were saved, was characterized by sin. Even if you went to church and grew up in a Christian home, you're as much as a sinner as the person that grew up in Skid Row. Just because you went to church as a young person and your folks took you to church and you were part of that church, you were as much as a sinner as the worst person that ever lived. Why would you go back to that as a believer? First, our lives were there. The word walk is an idiom for the manner of life. That's the way we lived. God meant to us something like an idol, I guess. We didn't have, I grew up in a church. I, don't, I, never, I never grew up in a home where we sat down on Sunday morning and it was said, are we going to church or not? It's never discussed on Saturday night if we're going to be in church or not. We put a car in a ditch 
on the way to church a couple times. And we got stuck a couple times. And I didn't always like to go, but it wasn't an issue. I had a father who was stronger than me, and he made sure I got in the car. I thought one time, I didn't see a lock on the bathroom door. I didn't think there was any key to get into it, so I locked myself in the bathroom on a Wednesday night. And uh, I found out this uh, short German had a way of getting in that room real quick. And it was hard to sit all the way to church. And we live 15 miles from church. Thank you for that kind of a father. I appreciate it. I didn't at the moment, but I do now. But it didn't make me a Christian going to church. I still had all the lustful things. Anyway, second thing he says in this verse, you formerly walked in it. Now he says, secondly, you are living lives among those which conformed to the sinful lifestyles of the world. You chummed with them. You were part of them. You got their approval. You were conformed. You thought like they did. Look at Romans 12, 12. Set your mind. Seek those things which are above. Romans 12, 2 says this. Romans 12, 2. You know the verse. Do not be conformed to this world. Some of you are buying what the world is telling you. And you're not paying heed to the God's word. Stop it. Don't be conformed to it. How do you change this? Not being conformed to the world. But be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. What are you putting in your mind? What am I putting in my mind? How much, how many minutes a day do you spend reading the Word of God? How much time do you spend listening to world wisdom, which we now have on television, on several different medias, 24 hours a day? What is that in compared to 15 minutes, if that much, in the Word of God? I appreciate the farmers that have radios in their tractors and they can turn on and listen to a lot of gospel stuff. A lot of us can't do that. But I appreciate the guys that can and hear the podcasts and hear the preaching of the Word. Even the guy we're bringing here in this... Uh, Man Up Conference, Peter Goman. He has a podcast. He has a weekly message. I'd advise you to tap into that. It's only been all that long. You got to drive to town. You got to drive somewhere. Put, it on, put your radio on it, your phone, or whatever vehicle you have. Take in the Word of God. Now he lists to us some of the things that remind us that we need to have some resolve. Look at verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8. We've talked about the elimination of the old, 5 to 11. We talked about the physical and the immorality in verse 5. The consciousness in verse 6. The reminder in verse 7. Now we have the resolve. Now you also put them all aside. Okay, I'm not going to read this pornography. I'm getting rid of it all. I'm not going to listen to this program. It just gets me too out of shape. I trust the God who's got all this in his hands and he'll work it out. I don't think you should be ignorant of what's going on. I'm not pr proposing that. And I'm not saying either that if you have an opportunity to say something that's positive, say it to our governmental leaders. But always remember that 
You're serving a God. So the resolve is. Believers were told previously to consider as dead parts of our earthly bodies in past tense. Be considering. My hands belong to the Lord. I'm dead to sin. My eyes belong to the Lord. I'm, my eyes are dead to garbage. My ears belong to the Lord. I'd be careful what I put in it. That includes music, by the way, teenagers, adults. Do you know a lot of propaganda comes through music? Clever. Satan's clever. I see advertised that we're going to have Jesus Christ Superstar going to be in Lincoln. Now, I, I can't think of anything more blasphemous. But you know what, you know what that rock and roll musical is? It's got some of the best music around. And he blasphemes Christ with beautiful music. Like I told you, I used to listen to country music. I used to be, I listened to it growing up. Enjoyed the songs. And then I got into the ministry and I sit in my desk and here's a mom and dad who have a teenager, junior high kid who's going off the beaten end. Or I sit with a mother whose husband is in pornography. I sit with a father whose wife was unfaithful, ran away with a neighbor. Somehow, words like slipping around, somehow words and songs like sleeping single in a double bed lost their lost their meaning when I saw the tears and I see the hurt wouldn't it, doesn't it do that to you when they sing about immorality and the tune you like the tune and you sing it right with them what are you singing would you, would you appreciate if we stood up here and sang a song contrary to what God wants us to do? But it had good music? Sing a, a song that is doctrinally incorrect in church? Why would we sing a song anywhere else that is blasphemous? We have to put a resolve here. In verse 8, put them aside. That's an aorist imperative mood, which means do it at once. Put it aside now. Don't gradually do it. I was, I was counseling and breaking up a, uh, an affair. I sat with this man who had left his wife and four kids. And run off with the secretary. And he was at one time, and, and when he left, he was a leader in a Christian work. And she was the secretary. And I met with them in, a, in another town. They just took off. And he said to me, Rod, I want you to know that I swore allegiance to this girl. I said, I'm going to tell you something. I, that would mean a thing to me because you did that to somebody else. That would mean anything to me. And so we got into talking. I kept pounding him. Do you really want to do God's will or not? Tell me. Yes or no. Do you want to do God's will or not? And he would avoid it. Finally he said, yes, honestly I do. Then I knew we kind of had turned the corner. Then he said, how do we end this? How do we end this? Well, you don't do it gradually. 
Let him that steal, what? Steal no more. If you're a thief, stop it now. That's what he's saying here. Put it off. Get rid of it. When the temptation comes, have a verse. I've taped more than one verse on a computer. I've had guys tell me who were traveling salesmen, 9 o'clock, tomorrow night evening I'm going to be somewhere. You call me and ask me what I'm watching. Put it aside. You don't play with this. If you had a hand grenade in your hand and the pin was pulled, what would you do with that hand grenade? Throw it. You don't let it blow up your arm. You don't let it destroy you. It says, but now you also. You is in this verb as well. You know, in the Greek, you can have a command without having the subject. But when you put the subject in it, it even emphasizes it more. Then you have a voice, the middle voice, that really gets the subject in it. You, yourself, put this aside, is what he's saying. The word means put on new clothes. If you're going to put on new clothes, you've got to take the old ones off. Right? You don't come in there with dragged clothes and then put a brand new suit on it. Over the top, you take the old clothes and get rid of them. And put them where you can't get them. You got new clothes on. As a born-again Christian, you have new clothes. You're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You're closed, you're as stand before God, positionally justified. You're as good as Jesus Christ is good. Why are we not acting like it? Now he says there's five sins that need to be taken off. Well, here's the five sins that are coming up. First one is anger. Anger is a valid emotion if controlled by the Holy Spirit. An exercise for glorious reasons or godly reasons. Look at Ephesians 4.26. Ephesians 4.26. Just another book prior to. 4.26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So you can be angry and not sin. But what are you angry? What is the thing of which you're angry? Is it ungodly stuff? Does it make you mad that we have people traveling right around us, moving girls from one place to another? Is slavery? Doesn't it make you angry that we have abortion and maybe the whole election may be settled on murder? Ought to make you angry. Makes me angry. Does it make you angry that we're teaching communist principles in our schools? Yeah, it makes me angry. That's a righteous anger. Was Jesus ever angry? Yeah, he went into the temple. And he dumped over tables of coins, as I was reminded just a couple days ago. And he walked through there and he had a whip and he drove them out. You made my father's house a den of thieves. Maybe we need a little anger in our lives. Godly anger. Out of drivers. Instead of sitting like bumps on a log. Be angry and do not sin, but that's a limit. There's a limit on this. What's the limit? Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Even though you're righteous, your anger might be justified in one way. You better settle it before you go to bed. Go to sleep. 
That's not always easy to do, but you better do it. Why? Because anger carried on turns into bitterness. And instead of acting out of love, you start acting out of anger. And you act out of bitterness. Now, there's another side to anger, and I think this is the side he's emphasizing in this passage. In this passage, he is emphasizing anger against whatever. Turn to James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. James 19, or excuse me, James 1, 19 and 20. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear and what? Slow to anger. Slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You get mad. It's a form of insanity. How many times have you said things and I've said things in anger that we wish we'd have never said? Isn't that true? Getting a little spat with your wife or your husband, and you say things that you don't even want to say, and you hurt one another, and you do it with your relatives, you do it with your neighbors. But Jesus once said, did he not, if a person wants your coat, what do you do? You give me, you give me your shirt. You don't retaliate and throw a fit. Who gave you the coat in the first place? God. Remember the widow? She gave, how much did she give? All of it. Was she worried? No. The God who gave her the two bits is going to give her the next two bits. Anger of an unbeliever is sinful. Now he uses another word for anger, wrath. There are two words actually for anger. The first one we talked about is orge. This is a the first, this one is thumos. It's a white hot anger, an uncontrollable rage expressed in outbursts. The other one is more a quiet, passive, burning inside it goes. Now, I like that one. My flesh does. I don't always say immediately my first reaction, but my flesh likes the slow burn. It's wrong, but it's slow. I know other people, man, if they're hot, they're right in your face and letting all, losing all their mind right in front of you. So we all have this problem. Hot, uncontrollable, or a slow burn will get even. Both wrong. Both wrong. Either anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. Malice. Moral badness, speaking of personal animosity and malicious gossip. One who acts with malice does wrong and one who acts with wickedness does it with pleasure. I would say this sin is very common in church. I would say gossip is one of the sins we tolerate in church. Malicious gossip. We even disguise it as prayer requests. And it's very hurtful, isn't it? Would you deliberately walk out of here and slug somebody as a man? Would you as a woman push her over? You do it with words. 
And you walk out. Oh, I love them dearly. Did you know? You know what kind of person they are? No, I didn't know that. They're probably like you. Isn't that true? Probably a lot of this sin goes on right in the foyer of the church, unfortunately. As I told you, if somebody came in here and opened a six-pack of beer and started drinking in the church, we'd all be shocked. And we should be. But they could go back there and run down and hurt people and walk out of here and feel good about themselves. Maybe we ought to cultivate something in our church and say when you hear this, I don't want to hear it. It's gossip. I don't want to hear it. That would be what? Putting it aside, right? That'd be putting it aside. Don't tell me. I don't need to know. So malice. In Romans 1.18 we read, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Romans 1.32 And although they knew the ordinance of God, they that practice these things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. The minute you lend an ear, what? You're just as guilty. You're just abating it. Tell me more. I want to know more dirt. Slander. Abuseful words. Disgraceful speech. Slander comes from a family of words which spring from the root word of blasphemy. The intent of slander is to urge or to hurt somebody by rumor. How many preachers have been ruined by rumor? How many elders? How many good people? They aren't true. Thank God. There's a verse in Isaiah that I really love that says the words can't hurt you. I remember uh, when I first started in the ministry, I mean, I was 21 years old, first year, and all at once a rumor started about me that was not true at all. I called my dad and I said, what do I do? What do I do? He said, you're there to preach a word. You can't, the minute you run down a rumor, another one will start. And if you're going to start running down rumors, that's all you're going to do. You preach the word, live godly, and move on. Man, that was good advice. I really appreciated that. James 3, 9. Listen to this. With it, talking about the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and, if we, and it, with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be. Isn't it interesting how many uh, sins of the tongue we're getting into here? Abusive speech. Disgraceful speech. Producing shame for both speaker and listener. This is low, obscene, and dirty talk filled with swearing and sexual innuendo. You have to swear to get your point across? You have to use a dirty word to get your point across? Some of this stuff, according to Ephesians 5, not even be a name among us. Do we have to use barnyard talk to get our point across? Ephesians 4. On the screen, we'll end with this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed to be the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And all God's people said, I hope you meant it. 
Let's rise for prayer. Father, it's a tough message because we all were a part of these things. Unfortunately, Father, we didn't all lay it aside when we were saved. And Help us now to put it off to this morning, right now, right now. Help us to say, Lord, I'm stopping this this morning by the grace of God, by the help of the Holy Spirit. And we may have to say that before the day's over or before the week's over. Help us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning. We've been talking to Christians, but your life could very much be what we've described. And it's because you are not a believer. Because you've never come to Christ. You've never repented of your sin and placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. He's standing here with his arms wide open. And he's saying to us, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can do that right where you stand. In the privacy of your own mind, all alone, put your faith and your trust in Christ. If you have questions or want more counsel, we'll have an elder standing here, and he will be able, just standing here in the front, he'll be more able to meet with you and help you and encourage you in any question you might have. Father, we commit this word of God to you. May the Spirit of God use it to bring glory to your name. And may the Holy Spirit be able to use it to convict the heart of sin and righteousness and justice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.